Welcome back to another episode of FDA Insight. I'm Dr. Anand Shah, the Deputy Commissioner for Medical and Scientific Affairs here at the FDA. Thank you so much for joining us for our fourth episode. This week, we'll be discussing COVID-19 therapeutics and clinical trials. My guest today is Dr. Patrizia Cavazzoni, the Acting Director of the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research here at FDA. Dr. Cavazzoni, welcome to FDA Insight. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. Thank you for having me. Well, Dr. Cavazzoni, let's jump right in. What treatments are available for COVID-19? Well, right now, there are no treatments that have been uh, approved for COVID-19, but we have uh, lots and lots of clinical trials and studies underway. Um, what we have seen so far is uh, uh, many researchers and uh, really wanting to uh, um, test uh, existing uh, therapies for other conditions other than COVID uh, that might be uh, promising for the treatment for COVID. So we have uh, uh, looked at uh, uh, over hundreds of these uh, types of uh, um, uh, potential therapeutics. What we're also seeing more recently after the wave of uh, interest to look at uh, existing drugs that might be repurposed for COVID is uh, now a really big push to uh, study uh, treatments and that have been uh, developed in a fit-for-purpose way for COVID. And an example of this is a class of very promising therapies that we'll hope will make a difference, um, which consists of uh, um, uh, antibodies that are uh, uh, developed uh, in, uh, in, uh, in a, a manufacturing facility uh, rather than in the uh, um, human body uh, that if uh, they work, uh, will have uh, the uh, um, uh, uh, ability to uh, um, uh, it neutralize the, the virus and, and prevent it from uh, sort of attacking the host. So that's an example of uh, uh, some of these uh, promising therapies that um, do not represent uh, uh, previously used drugs that uh, might be repurposed for COVID if it turns out that they work in clinical trials but are really developed uh, specifically uh, for, uh, for COVID. So how can folks get access to these investigational treatments? So we have a well-established uh, expanded access or also referred to often as a compassionate use program um, whereby um, physicians and treating physicians can uh, apply uh, on behalf of their patients, either individual patients or we have also a program that allows uh, a physician or a hospital to establish a, 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 a program of expanded access that uh, um, uh, uh, includes multiple patients. This, uh, these uh, uh, applications or the requ these requests have to uh, um, uh, uh, really uh, 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 require the collaboration of the uh, manufacturers of the drug. So uh, the manufacturer of the drug who are uh, studying the, the, uh, the uh, potential therapeutic uh, need to have this program in place um, and then uh, approve uh, the uh, 
the utilization of the drugs. So it takes really a triad of the uh, treating physician um, who uh, uh, makes a request on behalf of the patient, uh, the, the manufacturer, um, uh, very often this is a, a pharmaceutical industry, or, and, and FDA. Uh, and then these requests are reviewed and approved. We understand that uh, the uh, very often or the overwhelming majority of these requests particularly for COVID, entail very, very urgent situation where the patient may need a therapeutic very, very quickly. So we uh, reviewed uh, these requests very, very quickly uh, so that we can uh, uh, offer some, uh, some options uh, while we uh, continue to uh, um, work very hard to uh, um, uh, develop uh, and, uh, and uh, review uh, uh, therapeutics. So the FDA has been very busy over the past six months. Can you give us a window into what the FDA has done to support the development of new therapies for COVID-19? Well, certainly this has been an unprecedented level of activity for, for FDA and uh, um, uh, particularly for CEDAR, but also for uh, other uh, other areas of FDA, of course. And uh, um, very quickly we realized that uh, we were dealing with an unprecedented circumstances and that we needed to uh, uh, adapt or uh, very quickly to uh, uh, this new reality. And so uh, we created very quickly a, a program that that um, allows researchers uh, and uh, um, uh, commercial pharmaceutical companies who are developing uh, uh, COVID therapeutics to access us very quickly. Uh, we created a website that would allow uh, um, researcher, researchers to submit um, uh, ideas or proposals very quickly to get uh, um, our input uh, very early on uh, so that we uh, they get our advice and our technical input and uh, uh, they uh, don't have to sort of guess what might be required to continue to study the drugs. Um, we provide that early advice, and then uh, uh, after that, the, uh, uh, the researchers are able to incorporate that advice into their um, request to us to be able to uh, uh, start a, a, a program uh, moving from the test tube into um, uh, real-life patients. Um, and we have uh, a, a number of teams behind this program that are um, uh, looking at the requests when they come in and make sure that they get to the right place within uh, our organizations and then channel these requests to the appropriate areas within our center so that they can be reviewed by experts who are really very uh, knowledgeable about that uh, specific uh, that specific area or that specific type of uh, therapeutic. So many of the drugs being tested against COVID-19 have already been approved by the FDA. Does that mean that they're safe to take? No, it doesn't. So uh, there, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there has been a, a really big uh, uh, momentum to uh, uh, look at the drugs that are uh, approved for other uh, conditions and uh, 
to see how they work and to see whether the mechanism by which they work could actually make them useful for COVID. However, in order to determine whether that um, initial idea that the drug might work um, results in uh, uh, proving that the drug is safe and effective for COVID, we need clinical trials. And so uh, uh, we, uh, we need to uh, determine whether um, the drug actually works against the virus. And so we cannot make the assumption that even if there is a hypothetically uh, a way, uh, a mechanism for the drug to work um, against COVID, uh, that it will actually work. And that's why we need uh, well um, uh, designed uh, and uh, uh, appropriately sized um, clinical trials so that we can make that determination. So social media is a huge part of how the public gets their information. Is that the right place for people to get information? Are there more reliable sources? I'm, of course, making an exception for our podcast series today. Well, uh, uh, the series is actually a really good example of uh, 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 providing a source of information that is reliable. Uh, We also have a lot of information on our FDA website, and I would really encourage the listeners to uh, um, uh, mine our website because we have uh, uh, an entire page uh, around uh, uh, this uh, program that I'm talking about. It's called the CTAP program of the COVID Therapeutics Acceleration Program. A lot of information there. Uh, certainly, I know that lots of listeners will uh, uh, rely on social media. Uh, at the same time, obviously, uh, uh, the information on social media does not go through the level of verification uh, that uh, we uh, apply uh, when we uh, provide information to, to the public on our website. So I would really encourage uh, uh, looking at the FDA website uh, because there's so much information there. And I agree, Dr. Cavazzoni. I mean, we continue to up update the FDA website, you know, daily, um, oftentimes multiple times a day. Um, Just to pivot here, uh, what are some of the dangers of off-label use of drugs? You and I are both physicians. Uh, We've both had busy clinical practices, and uh, oftentimes, um, you know, there's a discussion of off-label prescribing. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, uh, some of the dangers, and I would say the the, the biggest danger, is that um, uh, uh, in in, in many instances, uh, um, uh, when uh, a drug is used off-label, there isn't uh, uh, sufficient information to indicate uh, whether that drug is uh, uh, safe or effective for that off-label use. And then by definition, uh, FDA has not determined that that drug is safe and effective. And why has that determination not taken place? Is because the right kind of studies, meaning the types of controlled, reliable studies that I was referring to earlier have not been conducted for that off-label indication. And so what happens is that physicians are left with having to make a determination based on what they know, maybe through their the, the, uh, their continuing medical education or uh, what the literature that might be out there, which uh, may or may not uh, 
uh, represent uh, the type of studies that we would trust uh, or their individual clinical experience to make these decisions um, uh, without really uh, having uh, um, had a, 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 a having the uh, um, sort of the type of information that uh, a drug that's been approved by FDA would require, uh, starting with, uh, again, the clinical trials and then uh, the reflection of that information in the label um, for, um, uh, for an approved condition. And obviously, the label is extremely important for clinicians because it provides information, all of the information that we, we know about the drugs from uh, um, the tests in the uh, uh, test tube to clinical trials and so on. And if the drug is not approved for a condition, uh, the information is, you know, cannot be uh, reflected in, uh, in, in the label for the most part. And Dr. Cavazzoni, what's the difference between a drug that receives an emergency use authorization, or EUA, versus a drug that is FDA approved. The public and the media frequently conflate these two concepts. The EUA is, is a mechanism that has been really being created for a situation such as the one that we're in now uh, with, uh, with, with COVID. Um, and uh, it really tries to address a situation where there are no adequate approved and available alternative treatments for a condition um, as uh, uh, we currently have with COVID. And so when it comes to an EUA, um, uh, in order to decide whether to grant it or not, uh, we have to satisfy ourselves that the known and potential benefits of uh, this proposed treatment um, outweigh the known and potential risks. Dr. Cavazzone, we talk about benefits and risks, and oftentimes we accrue that data and that knowledge through clinical trials. Can you tell us a little bit about the purpose of clinical trials? Specifically, how does that information factor into the FDA's approval process? And if patients are interested, how can they go about enrolling in a clinical trial for COVID-19 therapeutics? Clinical trials are really the foundation of uh, FDA's ability to determine whether a drug is safe and effective for treatment of a uh, given condition. And so they are essential and uh, uh, they, uh, they need to uh, be uh, uh, the type of clinical trials that are able to give us data that we can interpret. And uh, uh, overwhelmingly, the types of clinical trials that I'm referring to are what we call controlled randomized clinical trials where uh, the treatment is assigned randomly and where there is a control group, either a sugar pill or usual uh, type of uh, um, clinical care uh, that serves as a comparator to the uh, uh, group that receives the uh, uh, drug that is being investigated. And those are really the gold standard um, uh, for us to be able to determine whether the uh, drug works, is uh, effective for the proposed condition, and is safe. When it comes to um, uh, enrollment in clinical trials, there is a great resources for, uh, resource for, for patients um, under clinicaltrial.gov. Um, there is a requirement for uh, researchers to uh, post 
the clinical trials that uh, they are conducting on clinicaltrial.gov. Um, uh, the uh, database is easily searchable by condition. So uh, uh, patients and members of the public out there who are interested in participating in a clinical trial can do a search for COVID and coronavirus and then visualize all of the trials that are ongoing with, with contact information. That's really helpful information for patients. With that, let's wrap up this episode of FDA Insight. Dr. Cavazzoni, thank you for making the time to discuss this very important topic as we navigate the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm really happy to be there, uh, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to share this important information with your listeners. In future episodes, we'll be discussing more topics, including COVID-19 vaccine development. As always, we'll be providing you insight in plain language to help you understand the products that we regulate, the issues that we face, and the processes that we follow. We hope you enjoyed this episode of FDA Insight. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app of choice, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and others. Thanks for listening.